So Money, episode 296, Jim Cramer. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. Thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Well, ahead of introducing today's wonderful guest, I have to quickly share with you the charity fundraiser and competition that's going to be going on all month here at So Money, the entire month of November, in tandem with a charity fundraiser forward slash competition going on with Joe Saul Sihai's podcast, Stacking Benjamins. And to tell us all about that, I brought on Joe. And Joe, here you go. What, take the mic. You, you invited me onto this little fundraiser of yours, and I'm I'm excited, but also a little nervous. Farnoosh, I'm way excited that we're doing this together. You know, uh, we can raise a bunch of money for charity. And I love this at the end of the year with Thanksgiving. For people in the United States, we end the month of November with uh, Thanksgiving. And I thought, what a great way for our community to help another community that might need it. So we are going to be raising money for the Texas 4000, which is a 4,000 mile bike ride that University of Texas students take to raise money for cancer research and and cancer-related causes. Uh, I know that they give a lot of money to MD Anderson Hospital, one of the premier uh, cancer treatment clinics in the United States in Houston, Texas. And then they also give it to worthwhile uh, research facilities around the nation. So we're going to be raising money at, at, at stackingbenjamins.com forward slash Texas 4000. And it's cool because our organization, Farnoosh, has a lot in terms of where the money goes, a lot in common with who mm-hmm. you're raising money yes. for. Talk about that for a minute. Well, thank you. That was a nice transition. So uh, I have chosen, our team here at So Money has chosen the largest student-run philanthropy in the world, near and dear to my heart as well, because I was a part of this when I was in college. It's the Penn State IFC Panhellenic Dance Marathon. It's affectionately known as THON, and it's a year-long effort to raise money and awareness for the fight against pediatric cancer. It's raised over $125 million for the Four Diamonds Fund at Penn State Hershey Children's Hospital. And next year's THON 2016 is what we are fundraising for now. And that will be taking place February 19th through the 21st. It's a 46-hour dance marathon. I did it and I survived. It was uh, life-altering. But of course, it's for an amazing tremendous and important cause. Thon.org forward slash so money. Thon.org forward slash so money is where you can go to contribute. I know it's high season for canning and this is a way to join in on the fun. Anything you can do, know that it will be well spent. Over 95% of funds go to the families. That's so great. And the rider that we're riding for, uh, who's riding in the Texas 4000, her name is Shelby Schreiber. Her father was a single dad raising her Farnoosh. And when she was in high school, he started feeling bad, went to the doctor. It turned out he had terminal cancer and he passed away when she was just in high school. Hmm. So here she is without a dad. And now she decided she's going to ride this 4,000 mile bike ride in honor of him. And they spend no money on the bike ride. Uh, All the food along the way, all the housing along the way is donated. So I love these organizations, but stackingbenjamins.com forward slash Texas four zero zero zero. And I hope together we can raise a lot of money. I think we will. Thanks, Joe. Thank you. 
My guest today says he doesn't like talking about personal wealth, and he reveals this late in our interview, which kind of shocked me coming from him. Also made me feel a little bad because here I am digging into his personal finances, but he graciously makes an exception for us. My former boss and mentor, Jim Cramer, co-founder of TheStreet.com and host of Mad Money on CNBC, is here. We catch up on old times, chat about how and where he's investing his money today, how Jim overcomes criticism, and that time he got swindled by a friend. I'm talking millions of dollars. Here's Jim Cramer. Jim Cramer, welcome to So Money. Can you believe it? 2009 was the last time we were sharing a recording platform. You're one of my oldest friends, and uh, I love your stuff, and I've just always been crazy about you. There's no secret there. I've always said that you just are a star in the game. And um, it's a joy to be on your podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's too generous. I I, I think no, 2009 was when we last um, recorded together. And, you know, that was such a crazy year for everybody. Yeah, it was. Uh, we've come a long way. And I, I didn't want to ask you too many questions about the market. I really Whatever want to talk want. more about you. But you got to ask Jim. It's, it's a bit of a fragile time right now. You know, geopolitically, what's happening... Right. Globally, also, uh, we don't know where interest rates are going. There's a, an election coming up. Where do you? How would you characterize the market right now? And and should I be selling my stock? Should I be refinancing my mortgage and hoarding well, cash? Okay, we have a big cash position fraction where it's still my charitable trust. Uh, I spend a lot of time speaking to CEOs and both on and offline, offline without revealing any conferences particular names. There's a funk that is really just incredible. We don't, and it's directly from Washington. A belief that the Republicans are not focused on getting the economy going, that the Democrats aren't focused, that the president's not focused, that the economy is somehow overlooked uh, um, because of so many different issues that have more to do with social issues that or, or um, spending that is not that is not fiscal. It's fiscally tight, so everything just becomes it devolves into the Federal Reserve. And what the Federal Reserve is going to do. Uh, we have a large cash position in part because I don't like to fight the Fed. I've learned that for a long time. And if the Fed is going to tighten, then there's far fewer stocks that work. Uh, the I think the home is a better buy than stocks. Uh, I have been buying real estate. Now, I'm not allowed to own individual stocks, but I had a- You're buying in Brooklyn? Uh, yes, I am. And I'm opening some individual businesses, which are a huge amount of fun. I'm trying to buy right now um, in Italy. Really? Yes. Why? Uh, was over there. Uh, Other than that, it's just fabulous. No, I was over there in September with my wife, and we were surprised to see so many places for sale. Uh, where can you make the dollar work? Because I, mean, I think the dollar is getting stronger and stronger because Draghi, the central bank of Europe, is really committed to getting the euro down. And what he's basically saying is Americans come here. Now, I have a credit line, uh, fortunate enough, because I have some assets, and I am. Uh, I think I will have a place by March. Uh, my wife, wife will go over a couple times. Uh, this is not a real department. I'm still doing some other things in um, just did some real estate in Philadelphia. Um, still looking at places in Brooklyn. But uh, the imperative is to be is to take advantage of the strong dollar and find a place where you want. Now, you know, obviously, I don't want to sound like that everyone should go do that because I know that there's it, there's a cost of capital. But I, mm-hmm. but you and I have known each other long. I'm going to be candid with you. I mean, I've done okay. And uh, I'm getting older, and I want to have a place to go. Uh, and I just feel like that this euro is uh, on the way down. So if I target everything right, I think we'll be under 100 And uh, when I want to pounce. 
So this is just something that I just have made a mission on right now. Yeah, this is a great slice of your life. Not a lot of people know I never talk about what it. goes on behind Mad Money and the street.com. Uh, you're an entrepreneur. Would you say you're an entrepreneur first and foremost and you just happen to be a famous guy with a show on well, television? Well, uh, you know, I... Uh, well, I How uh, would you describe Jim Kramer? Yeah, well, I'll tell you what I like. I like business. Mm-hmm. Um, when um, an inn was not able to open in Summit because of some capital concerns, I went and bought it. Uh, with some guys and ran it and loved serving breakfast and loved uh, on Sundays, loved sitting behind the desk until Expedia made it so you didn't have to. Um, and I loved it so much that I said, I got to be in the restaurant business. Uh, so I uh, uh, opened a restaurant with, with a partner, you know, with a team, of, well, a really young manager and with my wife and uh, Bar San Miguel, a hundred mm-hmm. tequilas, uh, 25 mezcals and I'll redesign the menu right now. It's very funny. It's something oh, really? I'm really passionate about. We'll it. have yeah. to go back. Yeah. I mean, I've got, you know, 12 dishes that are for like $12 or less. And I find for me that I love people mm-hmm. and this a little bit soulless to do journalism because I'm really just looking at a camera and uh, I got another restaurant in mind. I'm not a little, that my wife will kill me if I reveal what the concept <laughs> is, but we're actively looking for that. Okay. Uh, and um, if my manager comes through and I just feel like that what's happened is that uh, I'm at this stage in my life where I want to just do more businesses. I love business. I love hiring Restaurants people. are so risky, Jim. No, I mean, it's not really, really restaurants. It's bars. Okay. Oh. No, I don't want to do restaurants. Oh. Restaurants are bad business. But, you but don't make any money. On Bar food. San Miguel has food. It's just, but it's well, primarily the, the, the tequila bar. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, margaritas. We had Danny Myers, great um, mixologist, come and made us drinks that we tested over a couple of great days. Uh, and um, <laughs> I happen to be a big aficionado of mezcal. And I have a, I have a bunch. I have a house in uh, in Mexico, and we're trying to recreate a bar that's not far from us. And I feel like that. Uh, I hosted there Friday. God, I have a good time. I really love hosting. I love to be there. I love to meet people. And um, and I love business. And this is just another kind of smaller scale, admittedly, but just a lot of fun. I don't know if I'm ever going to start a big business again, yeah. uh, like the street or my hedge fund, uh, because I just like these niche businesses where I'm not risking a lot of capital. Well, speaking of the street, you co-founded this in 1996. We're here at the street. Typically, I do interviews over Skype, but we're in person. I like what you've done with the place. It's on the top. It's on the 15th floor now. Looks sharp. Very impressive to start a media company during the dot-com frenzy of the late 90s to still say we're here and we're going strong. The 340 companies that came public during that period, only a handful survived. One of them. Now you could say, well, listen, is survival... You know where the stock is, and the stock I don't think is a good measure, um, and that's why I bought 100,000 shares uh, last week. Uh, but I do feel that uh, the company is in, uh, like a lot of smaller companies, people don't look at them. You know, they're just not on the radar screen. You know, what's on the radar screen? Allergan. You know, mm-hmm. what's on the radar screen? Uh, um, uh, Netflix, uh, Google. But uh, we're doing good work now. It's a show me situation, and I'm not going to say, listen. Um, I'm going to say I bought. I mean, I think that's louder than what, you know, obviously if I, I wouldn't buy if I thought it was going down. You buy for only reasons that you think are good. But uh, we've done a lot of interesting B2B part. Um, the uh, action alerts continues to thrive, uh, doing better this year versus the market than we've uh, done in a while. Uh, and uh, I still love talking stocks. I still love mad money. I still love squawk on the street. The days are long. Mm-hmm. The days are long. Well, I want to talk about your days. We talk about habits on this show. How do you maintain energy, your financial habits? People ask me, what's it like to work with Jim Kramer? I say it's an early morning. Yeah. Okay. So this morning, good, a good example. Um, 
set the alarm for uh, four eleven. Uh, get up at four eleven. Why four eleven, not four ten, four fifteen? Lucky number. Or? <laughs> no, I just it's very interesting you say that. Uh, that's exactly how much time I know I need in order to be able to get the treadmill at four thirty. <laughs> I have measured this thing down to the minute. My days are down to the minute. 3.53 on the days when I have my trainer come in uh, and just have everything down to the minute. And I know that if I hit the 4.11, then I can hit the 4.30 uh, because I like to come down. I like to look at an important email that needs to be addressed immediately. Uh, Twitter Twitter feed to see what needs addressed immediately. Um, come up with my first memo to my nephew, who's my head writer, about what I think we should be looking at. Uh, then treadmill or or I have a trainer comes in at, at 4 a uh, couple days a week and we work until quarter of 6. Uh, work out for 40 minutes, come back, write my first piece for real money, do uh, begin my what am I looking at memo for squawk on the street, uh, try to figure out exactly where, where I want to take the mad money that day, and then just start, you know, read all the papers, do all the research, uh, spend a huge amount of time just thinking about what is the theme of the day so I can do the top of the show, uh, write my no huddle piece, but, which is a back end. Study the companies that came public, you know, that, that have just uh, come public because we're spending a lot of time on that right now because uh, the ones that have are so few and far between that we can spend time on them. Uh, and then uh, continue, come here, come to the street between 7 and 7.30, meet with my team here for real money, re- meet with my team here for action alerts, and meet with my team here for, for mad money. Uh, then go over at 8, uh, by 8.24 <laughs> to uh, school for the street, post 9, cross the street. Get made up by eight thirty three. Be down by eight forty seven for my cross talk with uh, the people who squawk, and be ready at eight fifty. You know, eight fifty nine with my team for you know. David, How often David are you looking at your watch? Like constantly. with my Apple Watch constantly, <laughs> um, and then I come back and I work at the street. Uh, you know, do some videos, spend some time talking with people here as the CEO, uh, and then uh, right over to, to um, uh, right over to New Jersey to Angle Cliffs for Mad Bunny, which I'll be working on. I tend, you know, if we have interviews, then I spend a lot of time on the interviews. If it's uh, pieces, I tell you, I write, I, we do four or five drafts of no huddle, usually six or seven drafts at the top of the show. Uh, same writer, Cliff, since the beginning, same executive producer since the beginning. And, uh, we finish the show. We start the show at four, uh, between four and four ten, and we finish the t- show between five forty and, f- and five fifty. I do a periscope now. Kind really? Yeah, kind of fun. Uh, and then I leave and start all over again. You know, Why work so more. hard? Why you would be ha- you would be more successful than most people well, I know first, working half the time you do. Well, um, first I do like what I do. Mm-hmm. Second, I want to be really good, and I know that homework is what defines you. I'm not the best looking guy on TV, but I can be the most informed, and I am driven, uh, driven to be able to really make uh, good calls. I think about what's happening far fewer now in terms of stocks, much more education. Uh, but remember, my kids grew up. You know, I've got a 24 and a 21 mm-hmm. year old. And when your kids grow up, uh, things change. And you're not uh, you you are committed when they're growing up. And then when they leave the nest, it's like you got some time. And I obviously spend way too much time on work, and we all know that that's a full. But you know, I've got two jobs right now, and I want to make the street as strong as possible. And I obviously love Squawk on the Street, and I love Mad Money, and I love stocks, and I love the Bar, bar San Miguel, and the Debari Inn, and I have been, you know, blessed with energy. Uh, and my father passed away this today last year, oh. and he was ninety-two. Wow! And worked every day of his life. He was working very hard the day before he died, uh, selling boxes, bags to retailers, and. 
you know, a business he started. I, yes, he did. And I said, not good. I hope I, I'm doing the same. So I am driven by work and I like it. Now, um, I like to, uh, I'm always going to love the stock market. Um, I'm interested in real estate because I can't own individual stocks other than Comcast and General Electric in the street. Those are my three employers. Mm -hmm. And I am every morning just trying to figure it out. And I still, just like I did uh, starting in 1979. Well, you're uniquely hardwired. I remember reading about, and you've shared stories about when you were little well, growing up in Pennsylvania, yes, reading the evening paper to know where the stocks that you were following had closed. What kind of child does that? Were your daughters well, doing that? Is this something that you, uh, um, that they My inherited? daughters are, let's put it this way, <laughs> uh, not on the same page. Uh, my father would bring home the, the evening bullet and the four star, which would have the close of the market. And he would say, everyone's looking at the sports section. Why don't you learn this business section? And I did have a ledger and I keep it. And I was just trying to, you know, hear names on the radio. And, you know, it's just fun. And there were, there were a couple of, my father's soul was working for 3M, repping 3M book game. Uh, they were called book games. Um, Ingo Tui knows this. He's the fabulous CEO of 3M. And they came up with a game called Stocks and Bonds. And came up with a game called Acquire. You can still get these on eBay. And they were the ones that explained to me how the capital markets work. And they were integral to my understanding about stocks. Imagine this book. And my father sold them for a living, so he would bring them home. And uh, that's how I got really interested. And then for a while, I you know went my way to try to do as well as in college and uh, was a journalist. And then uh, rekindled my love with the market in, 19, in 1979. Why? Why that? Uh, I went to, uh, I was in Silicon Valley for the LA Herald Examiner. And uh, I, I was also covering homicide, but I went to Silicon Valley and met, met the people from National Semiconductor, uh -huh. Signals, a couple of really cool companies. I said, I can figure this out. They're all talking stock. I can figure this out. And then went to work at American Lawyer. We were covering M&A. And I just would go to that Midtown library and, uh, where they had all the different microfiche for all the different companies. And just bear down and find it. And I started having great success in the market. As a journalist, the money must have been a little motivating too. On the I was other making side, so little right? money. You're living I, you in know, your I was living in my car. I had, no, I had nothing. And um, <clears throat> when you asked about how I work, and, uh, and you know, we'll talk about money for a sec. Uh, some people from a previous generation had a depression view um, that they were. Um, always one step ahead of the posse because of the depression. My um, my my period, my six months in the car, um, my six months in the car were clearly uh, a formative period for me. And I would tell you that, as I said in Confessions of a Street Addict, I just never wanted to be poor again. And it's pure motivation. Uh, now, at a certain point, like when I walked away from my hedge fund at the end of 2000, when I had a really good year, I recognized that I was too driven by money. Mm -hmm. And that money, it's true, money doesn't buy you love. I certainly know that. Um, but, I've, but I've always been driven by work. But it was the money and the not wanting to be poor that really kind of took me to where I had to go and then started wrecking my life. And I feel great that I was managed to pull out of the tailspin when I recognized that, you, that there's a certain amount of money that you need and then you should be able to start doing things that you like. And that set, that moved me to TV and that moved me to the different uh, different iterations of things I really like right now. How do you determine how much money you need? It's different for everybody. Well, you know, I am a, a big believer that you, 
you find something that you really like that's expensive versus your life versus the amount mm -hmm. and you can put your money on that um, and then be frugal besides that. Hmm. And so I would tell you that I am astoundingly frugal except for my box at the Philadelphia Eagles. And when <laughs> I look at my, I try to cut my expenses every single month. And I think I've gotten them to the point where I'm able to save nicely uh, so that I am to the point in my life where uh, I'll take one expensive vacation and I have the Eagles. And then everything else is really just like, you know what? We're hunkering down mm -hmm. um, because I want to be able to save and because I want to be able to make that money that I have stretch if I decide that I want to retire. Now, I don't, can't see myself retiring, but uh, the, how much you need is totally dependent upon those, those extravag the extravagance. Mm -hmm. And um, I took a very extravagant trip to Europe this year and I, I got remarried. People know that. I Congratulations. Thank you. After 10 years with the same woman and I spared no expense of the wedding, candidly. Well, what happened is we invited uh, 520 people and 505 wow. said yes. So oh, it was, my gosh. Everyone's kind of happy that people's life can be started over. It was of a, course. It was a fabulous article in uh, the New York Times about a our wedding announcement, was, which was the most read article in the New York Times for two straight days. Not wedding, article for two straight wow. days. And uh, people want to know my life should read that. And it's a story of great happiness. Uh, and uh, I am thrilled about my, you know, I guess what we described as my new life, but I uh, she and I are both of the same ilk, which is that we, we're not crazy about spending, hmm. and, but, we, but when we do it, we do it big. Let's talk about, if we may, failure. If we talk oh, about failure absolutely. on the show a lot no, no. and some people talk about their greatest financial failure as literally losing millions in a day because of a bad choice, trusting the wrong people. I, okay. Let's talk trust. I mean, the reason I have a place in Mexico was because, uh, was in a, I was in a real estate partnership and uh, the person, we had a good auditor, we had a good lawyer, uh, a good accountant, and uh, he met the real estate partnership people that were the general partners managed, did a multi-year scam. No idea. I mean, fooled everybody. What generated. years were these? Uh, this was from 2002 mm -hmm. to 2006, multi-year scam. And then completed it all by taking the money and going to Mexico. Wow. And I pursued him the end of the earth. Uh, I got the properties back. I sued everybody involved. Uh, private, settled privately, so can't discuss it. But let's just say that uh, I was made more whole than people realize. And uh, I trusted. Mm -hmm. But it was a multi-year scam. I mean, it was someone who literally, for two years, generated great returns of which I'd say a year and a half were actually true. And then I became less vigilant. Uh, Karen Kramer became uh, less vigilant. And ultimately what happened is, is that he preyed on us knowing that we were trusting and ripped us off for millions, millions of dollars. Was he a friend? Was he how? Friend. Okay. Friend. So I is mean, that the lesson? Not to be a grifter. Well, <laughs> I mean, how you know, did you prevent think about that? think about this? We we had the everybody was only up and up, but then it turned out that they weren't. The lawyer wasn't. Mm -hmm. um, the accountant. These were people. I'm going to leave their name out. Whatever. But um, the let's put it this way: there was an article about the lawsuit in the Star Ledger, and let that speak okay. for itself. Uh, but we um, got hurt really badly, and now. Uh, 
I went down. I'm not going to reveal where the properties are because Mexico is a little sensitive. But um, we went down to see one property. Uh, we went. There were four properties, uh, three properties that were directly involved. The fourth would sold before we could get it. First one we went down to. We said, "Wow, this is just terrific." I don't know. We were going to sell them all in one day. Uh, second was even better, and the third was just gorgeous. And I rent two, mm-hmm. and the third I use uh, give away to charity for rent. And then when I'm down there, use it. And a lot of people use it. And uh, so it had a happy ending. It in had, some ways. It, it had a totally uh, better than happy ending. It was a total lemonade out of lemons. Uh, I, I I don't want to say I'm a vindictive guy, but I will never forget what happened. Fortunately, you had the means to sue these jerks. Yes. And, Some uh, people, and most I people can't. an unbelievable lawyer, mm-hmm. a fantastic woman who would not stop, just would not stop. Uh, so I got the properties back, which was very big for me, uh, and discovered a whole new life down in Mexico, which I love. But it was, tr- it was a combination of trust um, and not recognizing that some people play the long game in terms of a scam. Mm-hmm. See, you think of a long game in terms of good. Like you play the long game with your kids if they, you know, go, you know, they are rambunctious. You play the long game in a business. But I never thought that a scammer would pay the, play the long game. Really worked well, multiple we have years some to con. major examples of that. Yes. You know, Bernie yes, Madoff. Yes, <clears throat> This was a small scale Madoff. Yeah. So speaking of failure, how do you deal with sometimes being criticized so much? I mean, well, you you, know, you've been through the ringer in, yeah, in some I mean, ways. I've had some bad ones. I mean, I've had some bad press. Uh, I was the subject of tremendous ridicule by John Stewart and his largest. You uh, walked into that show, well, you know, which well, most people wouldn't have. They would have. You know, yeah, you look at it. Or do you regret be being on the show? Well, I regret the way that I was handled, treated. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I think he's a man of great talent. So it was, you know, terrible to be mis- to be treated that way. And I know that he went on Howard Stern later on, felt that he had said, uh, you know, look, I, the guy didn't deserve it, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was there was an article in the New York Times subsequently that said, you know, Jim Cramer should stop apologizing. He didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> I, I felt aggrieved because I had been out there saying that the Federal Reserve um, was too tight. I was out there saying that you should sell everything at 11,000 11, the Dow, buy it back at 6,000. These are great calls. Um, someone did call me and say, listen, can I keep my money at Bear Stearns? But it was about the trust account because I worked very closely when I was at Goldman Sachs about the insurance of a, when you have money in a brokerage. I knew that that money would be safe no matter what. Um, never recommended the stock then, but um, you know, got tarred for that. And competitors wanted to get that. It was ugly time in my life. Uh, but you know what? I came out every day. Mm-hmm. I did not withdraw. I did not not show up. I got dressed each morning and I said, I'm going to keep my job. I'm going to work even harder. Change the show to be more educational. And uh, the it's not revenge, but, you know, I lasted. Mm-hmm. And sometimes all you got to do is last. Now, what do you have to talk about showing up? Um, I lasted. And that was uh, the vindication was that I lasted and I didn't retreat to where I was beaten and uh, wounded. I just came, just came, just kept coming out. And that's sometimes all you can do. In some ways, has your tune changed a little bit? Well, no, I mean, I've, I've tried to go much more educational just because mm-hmm. like, the market's much tougher in the old days. When you, when I published so, Your So Money back in 2008, right. with your help, you wrote the investing chapter for me. Thank you. Of course. <laughs> I couldn't have done it. You advised that if a young person wants to start investing today, that was back in 2008. Right. Start with about $5,000 or it was $2,000 or $5,000. In other words, have some money right. and diversify still. 
four or five different stocks. Well, I mean, I, now I've changed my tune a little bit. I want the first 10,000 to be index fund. Okay. And the reason I want the first 10,000 to be index fund is, is that I, um, I feel that the market is so unforgiving that if you have two bad stocks out of five or something, you get hurt. But once you save 10,000, then you have free, you have some mad money and yeah. then you can be diversified, pick some stocks, but uh, a, mix, a mixture of, of, of a hedge, a mixture of, of mutual funds that are, that are, I think a little bit better than I'm, I love Fidelity Contra, for instance. I've mm -hmm. been like, it's nothing new. I've been in there since 1980 and I like um, Fidelity Magellan. Uh, those happen to be the two. There's lots of good mutual funds, but those are the ones that I started with. And I, I find that what I'm trying to do is get people to be diversified, but then also to, if they like stocks, to learn how to pick them. And that's what the show is about. I mean, they're the now. I mean, in terms of just criticism, here, here's a good one. He gets you to trade. Well, I mean, you got to watch the show. It is so clearly not what I do. Mm -hmm. Well, he picks stocks for you, and he's a tout. Well, I mean, you got to watch the show. So. I can't help people's perception. I can only keep doing what I do. And uh, you need skin of a rhino to do what I do. Uh, I'm blessed <laughs> to have kids and a wife who love me. It's very good friends. Very good. And sometimes that's your solace. I mean, I've got great friends, great wife, great kids. And uh, sometimes that's all you really need. You can You can prevail over anything if you have that. And I would do anything for my friends. My friends all know we are very strong. I mean, even at this age, these are the people who I, who when I'm down, and I've had a lot of experiences when I'm down, uh, I absolutely uh, can rely on. And uh, I think everyone should be thinking about uh, making sure you have a network of friends as you get older. It's really important. They're hard to come by. There's that saying, you're the average of the five people you hang out with the most. Well, I'd like to think that. <laughs> you know, I'm bringing down the average a little bit. But yeah, I mean, I, I have I have a great time with some really loving people. And I <clears throat> uh, am blessed to have great friends, blessed to have you know great family. You know, it's just, it's just good. So here on this, this podcast, we do a little lightning round as well. Sure. And uh, it's called So Money Fill in the Blanks. Okay, okay, bear with give me. Give it a shot. So here we go. If I won the lottery tomorrow, let's say someone gave you $100 million. I don't know okay. you don't play the lottery, but let's right. say you just... Um, I did for a while. Okay. The first thing I would do is... For $100 million, uh, I'd probably give away half instantly because um, I don't need that uh, and would do it with a charitable trust and just figure out... I'll spend a huge amount of time trying to figure out which of the most deserving and fabulous... You know, uh, I give, I'm fortunate enough to have enough money to give a lot of money away. So I think that my first action would be to try to figure out how very quickly to give half of that back. You know, you got to worry about the tax man uh, to people who are far more deserving than I. One thing that I spend on that makes my life easier or better is? You know, I spend on that makes my life easier. Okay, I do have a driver. I mean, I have to get to a different place. Now, some of it's paid for by company. Um, but it is, uh, that's where I can do my writing. And, and you can keep to your time. Yes. You're, you're... And, and look, again, I mean, I, I am lucky. Okay. So, I mean, when you talk about your wealth, it's a it's a bad thing in this country. And because I've known you for a long time and because it's the subject of your podcast, I'm violating my rules about talking about that. Do you I've actually think it's a bad thing to talk about wealth? Yes. Why? Because it's, I mean, I, brought, I was brought up in a house where you don't talk about politics, you don't talk about money. But that's the culture you grew up in. And sometimes my culture's I... right. My mom was right. 
But you you talk about money for a living. I mean, you talk well, about I money, stocks. Personal, personal. I'm yeah. doing personal because 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 I love you and I love what you do. Well, but thank it's you. Not, um, it, it, it's not what I like to do because it can come off as being hubris. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I'm lucky. I've been play, right right place, right time a lot. Had people who supported me and picked me out as being able to, whether it be Goldman Sachs or uh, whether it be my investors at my hedge fund or the great people at CNBC. Um, I've been blessed with tremendous good fortune. And uh, when I, and I did save a lot and I worked really hard and I'd like to think that I earned what I did, but you know, I also know that I got lucky in a lot of ways, and I just feel like that I like to give back. Uh, it makes me feel great. Well, how about this? One thing I wish I had learned about money growing up as a kid is? I wish that I had recognized how uh, we talked about one scam, mm-hmm. about how when you get to where you are, many people want your money. They want to take it from you. And I didn't see it. Wow. I had a fabulous billionaire who had said to me, when you get to a certain point, you are going to find people who are going to want to take your money. And, uh, it, yeah. and I didn't believe him. And he was right. And I'm talking about millions. Uh, and I just didn't know it. I didn't see it coming. When I give, I like to give to blank because... Well, I like to give um, the charity. I like to give in uh, Summit, New Jersey, mm-hmm. because it can have an impact. I find these big New York City charities are very, very difficult. Um, I've made, a, a, of, of recently, I've made a couple of charities that I, I do a lot, a lot with the Elks, um, with fast-growing Elks in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I have been spending a lot of time on, uh, uh, on Wounded Warrior slash uh, the people, survivor, the families of people who died in Navy SEALs. Um, but my um, my primary interest, because my wife lost her child, uh, is to do uh, Children's Hospital. And I'm very proud of my work at the Benioff Hospital in San Francisco, and I'm going to do a lot more. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, you may not like this last question, Jim, because you don't like talking about money, for your money. But I love asking guests this to wrap things up a little bit. And it doesn't have to be about uh, money. You're filling the blank. But here's how I'll start off the sentence. I'm Jim Cramer, and I'm so money because... So money, well, they could come dollar sign. <laughs> you could take it man. literally, or you could look at it as more of a. Um, an I emotion. like to think that I'm a, a lot richer with my friends than I am in my back. I like that. All thank right. you so much. Okay, I'm going to shake you. your hand. Absolutely. Thank you thank so you. much, thank Jim. You. That's a wrap. If you'd like to learn more about Jim, you know where to find him over at CNBC. Mad Money airs Monday through Friday at 6 o'clock Eastern. And of course, thestreet.com. Jim is on Twitter at Jim Kramer, and he's also on Periscope, apparently. We're going to have to check that out. If you want to catch this interview again, the transcript, the comments, head over to somoneypodcast.com. There you can also click on Ask Farnoosh and send me your questions. Every Friday, I dedicate the show to answering your money questions. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. This is Thanksgiving week. Hope you are with family, doing something fun, feeling good. Looking forward to connecting with you right here, back again tomorrow. Guest is my brother, Todd Tarabi. Yikes. Stay tuned and hope your day is so money. Money.